He said, the world fears an outcome they cannot control. Christians fear God who controls the outcome. Suffering isn't proof of God's absence. It's proof of God's presence. He is there. Through all of the suffering, through the past trials in our family, through the past eight years, this sums up my faith walk more than any other. We all fear that we can't control, but have hope in Him who we know controls that outcome is what has helped me through it all. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are bringing you a story from one of our live gatherings actually here in Vestavia. That's right, Robin. This live gathering actually was at my house here in Vestavia Hills. And Lisa Lovell is one of my good friends. I've known her since college. And we were excited that she wanted to share her story about God's presence in her life. And, you know, Lisa is a doer. She has always been very much in control. If you have something that you need to get done, you call her. And it's interesting to me just how her faith has grown so much through these uncontrolled circumstances to where she really was able to see God's presence in her life. I know, Lindy, you know, one of the things that I always love about storytellers is you hear stories from these women who you've known for years, like I've known Lisa for years as well. And I learned so much about her through her sharing her story, these struggles that she had gone through in really like a two-year span time. And one of the things that Lisa does is she points us back to Jesus in the midst of these struggles. Time and time again, we think, where are you, God? He is right alongside us. And like her uh, quote at the beginning of this story said, it is proof of God's presence in the midst of suffering. So here's Lisa's story. So thank you all for being here. My name is Lisa Lovell. I am so excited and so blessed to be sharing with all of you guys today. A while back, a friend of mine came up to me and was like, you know, Lisa, you you really should tell your story. Go to Storytellers and tell your story. And I thought to myself, and I kind of joked and I kind of laughed to her and Tammy's looking at me. <laughs> and I was like, really? What story? What, what do you want me to tell? What story should I tell? Because I have quite a few of them. Most of us and some of y'all may think, you know, we, I've got that one thing, that one life-changing event in my life that has defined me. Well, in praying about this and praying about my stories, I've come to the kind of the reality that we all have more than one story that makes us and molds us into who we are. So I'm here today I'm going to tell you a few of my stories and my family's stories of loss and unexpected events and a little bit about how I got through them and how God helped me to get through those events. A little about myself. I grew up in Roswell, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. I was raised by the best single mom ever. It was just myself, my little sister Wendy, and my mom from the time that my parents divorced when I was five until my mom remarried my junior year in high school. Uh, My mom had dated my stepfather George for nine and a half years before they married, so he was like a father to both my sister and I. Growing up before my mom got remarried with the three of us girls was always interesting. When one of us would laugh, we'd all laugh. And keep in mind, we're three girls. So when one of us would cry, which happened often... All of us would cry. We were so close during those years. My mom was a rock star, and she still is. My dad, on the other hand, was a handful. My dad was a hot mess. He was married six times, if we can count that number five and number six were the same person. He was not much of a father when we were young. There were a couple of years that we went by without even hearing from him. He wasn't there much for family visits or child support. He had three other children. So I had a little brother, Chad, that I haven't seen in over 20 years. 
And then I have another little brother and a younger sister, Colby and Haley, that I'm very fortunate that I have gotten to spend time with them and watch them grow up. I went to Auburn University where I met my husband and best friend, Dan. We are coming up on our 30th wedding anniversary, and I can, I can tell you guys that I can honestly say that I do not feel old enough to have been married for 30 years. <laughs> But yet, here we are. I have two amazing children. Uh, my son, Jay, is a senior at Auburn. Uh, my daughter, Ashlyn, she uh, graduated from Auburn in May of 2020, is in her second year of PA school at Sanford University here in Birmingham. The beginning of what I call our crazy mode in our family started about eight years ago when I got a phone call. I got the call, and my dad had just fallen down the stairs in the front of his home. He was probably drinking. He spent the next two months in ICU at UAB Hospital where uh, he had severe brain damage and we were told that most likely he wasn't going to come to and that if he did, he wasn't going to be able to communicate. So his quality of life was not going to be like it should be. So our family, we made the decision to together put him in palliative care where he could be comfortable and pass away peacefully. Though his wife at the time, wife five and six, felt very different about that situation. She was a patient care nurse and proceeded to feed him through his IV and keep him alive. So at that point, UAB Hospital sent him home with a hospital bed, and he eventually woke up. He was able to talk, walk, and hear. Though he had some major cognitive issues, he was alive. One day, he got tired of his living arrangement, which was not a good one. She wasn't a good person. And so he decided he was going to run away from home. And that is exactly what he did. He walked down to the nearest church. He got them to call Homewood High School, where my younger sister Haley was in chemistry class. Got her out of class. I got another call from my stepmother, Colby and Haley's mom, Pam. And both of us went to pick dad up at the church. At that point, we got him a divorce, filed for disability, and put him in an apartment across the street from his church, Our Lady of Sorrows. They were a huge blessing to me and my family and to my dad. He volunteered at OLS, um, and he loved his new life. We called those his bonus years. And I'll tell you honestly, they really were, because he was a much sweeter person than he ever was before. He was very grateful after that. At least I pray that he was. But we basically took care of him for the next five years. At that point, you know, what do you do? Well, you pray. And one of the verses that stuck with me during that time was Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I did not grow up with my dad. He wasn't there for me much, but I felt that calling to be there for him at that time. And so I was. I took care of him and he needed me and he was my dad. Five years later, in April 2014, I got a call. I got a call from my dad. I was in a meeting. I did not answer this call. I checked my voicemail when I got out of the meeting, and it was dad saying, you know, I've got a dentist appointment the next day. So having to reassure him, I texted him, I'll, I'll get you. I'm coming to get you. We went to the dentist appointment. And that was it. That was fine. But well, but I, about an hour later, I got a call, another call. This time it was from the Homewood Police Department telling me that my dad had suddenly died of a heart attack. Dan and I immediately went to his apartment, and we met with the coroner along with my little brother, Colby. I had missed that last phone call, and in my mind, had I not answered that call or had I answered that call, I possibly could have prevented something happening. At least in my mind, that's what I told myself. Although I knew my dad was better off, he had had some really bad health issues since the accident five years, five years earlier, and we had a beautiful service for him. 
I was disappointed and we were all disappointed we didn't get that last time to talk to him. It's worth mentioning at this point, both my kids, Ashlyn and Jay, are, were 14 and 15 years old at that point in 2014 when my dad passed. About six months later, Dan was heading to the lake with Jay and two of his buddies for just a fun weekend at the lake, and he got a call. His dad had suddenly died of what we believe was a heart attack while swimming with Dan's mom. This was devastating, especially to Nani, my sweet mother-in-law. Pawpaw was a huge part of our lives, a big part of my kids' lives, and his passing was so unexpected. Again, we didn't get to say goodbye to him. We planned the entire funeral and began to get things in order. The kids participated and read at the funeral at the service uh, with Dan and his brother given an amazing eulogy. It was really special. That year, 2014, was so full of unexpected. Two big losses in our family. And what do you do? Well, you pray and you do. And you just keep taking care of your people. At least that's what I did. You pray to God that you can get through this. At that point, Dan was reading a book, um, I believe it was Anxious About Nothing, and gave, gives me this verse, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And I really prayed on this a bunch during this time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Guys, at that point, I was requesting all kinds of things. I was in constant prayer and just asking Him you know, get us through all these times. It's hard. So in March of 2015, less than a year after my dad had passed, less than six months after Dan's dad had passed, I got a call, another call from UAB hospital this time. And Dan and I went as quick as we could to the hospital. His grandmother, Deanie, passed right before we got there. She died in surgery. She had been killed in a car accident along with a friend who was taking her to church. But get this, Here she is, she's with her friend taking her to church, and they were T-boned by a truck that had been stolen by a man that had just escaped from prison. You can't make it up. I just, I kept thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. This 92-year-old woman and one of the sweetest women in the world has just been killed by an awful man in a useless accident. Our son Jay was 15 at that time and on his third funeral in one year. And I remember him looking at Dan and asking, so are we going to have to stand up front again and greet more people at another funeral? Yeah, yeah, we are. At this point, I started personally to get weary of the phone call. My kids can tell you I don't love getting that phone call because I just get so fearful that something bad is going to happen, that, you know, another thing is going to happen. So in the next year, My stepfather, George, who was more of a father than my dad was in many, many ways, got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. This was a tough time for my mom and a tough time for all of us watching him battle this disease. It is not a fun thing to watch. Mom had been the caregiver of my grandmother a few years back, and now she was going to be the full-time caregiver of my stepfather, George. She is the best at it, but she had a long haul ahead of her. The day before Thanksgiving in 2018, I was heading to the store when I got a phone call. You see, the day before Thanksgiving, our family, and in the circle where we live, the families there, we give the turkey fry. We set up fryers. We fry lots of turkeys. Honestly, quite frankly, we fry everything that we could possibly (laughs) fry or eat. It is such a great time that we love spending with our friends. And then the next day, Thanksgiving Day, we spend with our families. The call that I'd gotten was from my mom. She was upset and crying. George had passed away peacefully at home in his recliner. I know this was a blessing. And 
My mom knows it was a blessing. He passed peacefully. But in so many ways, it was still that loss. And it was hard on everybody, especially my mom. Ashlyn and I packed up quickly. We headed to Atlanta, where we helped my mom and planned yet another funeral and celebrated yet another loving member of our family. But what do you do at this point? What do you do? You pray and you do. Sadly, we had done this way too many times. I once heard that when life is so hard and you feel like you can't breathe, that God is always there. And He was. But man, y'all, it just feels like getting the wind knocked out of you. At this point, also, I'm thinking, and I am not good at cliches. My family will tell you I can mess them up in a heartbeat. (laughs) But I am waiting at this point. You know, what is the next ball going to be? What's the next ball that's going to drop? As you recall that I had mentioned, I have a much younger brother, Colby. He is very close to Jay and Ashlyn. Ashlyn and they, um, he is like a brother to them, he and Ailey, a brother and sister, and he was like a son to me. On September 14th, 2019, it was two years ago, last week, Dan was out of town, and I was in Auburn for the homecoming game and parents' weekend. I was staying at Dan's mom's condo. I was by myself, and I got a phone call, late-night phone call, and it was my stepmother, Pam, Colby and Haley's mom, and she was crying uncontrollably to the point where I couldn't understand her. So I got her to calm down, and she was telling me that Colby had been in a bad car accident coming home from work that day. He managed a hunting camp in Camp, in camp Hill, right off of 280, and had a bad accident turning onto 280, and that he did not make it. Colby was 28 years old and was doing great and loving life. He was about to ask his girlfriend Natalie to marry him. He had had lunch with my son Jay on Thursday and was asking him to stand up with him at the wedding. Friday before, he'd gone to the Lambda Chi house to grab to drag Jay out of bed early for an 8 a.m. physics class. Luckily, Jay had already made it to physics, but Colby loved it, laughing the whole time. Losing Colby was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was one of the worst times for me. Dan and I had decided that that night we weren't going to wake up the kids, that we'd call them the next morning. I, by myself all that night, I was on the phone off and on with Dan and my sister Haley. I don't think that I have ever hit a knee in prayer quite like I did that night. I waited as long as I could, and I called Ashlyn. I knew that she would need to go and get Jay because it was going to hit him harder than just about any of us. Ashlyn and her boyfriend, Jackson, who is also a Lambda Chi with Jay, and I knew he could get through the combination lock in the dorm at the fraternity house. They went and got Jay, and then came my kids came and spent some time with me at the condo. And here we are. We're planning yet another funeral. It is really sad when you walk into John's rideouts in Homewood, the funeral home, and they know you by your first name. And that's where I was at that point. I helped to write the obituary. Jay read at the funeral. And I gave part of the eulogy along with my sister Haley and my brother-in-law, Ethan. That was hard. But I am so glad that I did that eulogy. It gave me a chance, and it gave me a chance and made me feel so good to be able to tell everybody how proud I was of Colby and the man that he had become. I didn't get to tell him that before, but I got to tell everybody that. And to me, that just was so important. The family came back to our house that night uh, to tell Colby stories, and I have an amazing group of friends that provided food, and it was just a, a really fun evening celebrating him. But one thing that I remember that night was my daughter Ashlyn talking about how her friends and the people and her roommates and the people that she lived with had hardly been to a funeral, and here they had stood up at five and spoke at two. And that was just kind of enlightening to me at that point. 
uh, sadly, also, Dan, one of our, Dan and I's quotes that came after that was, you can't make this stuff up. Not just the loss, but the way in which it all happened. Um, most were sudden, sudden, unexpected circumstances. Not just dying of old age, and that's how we all pray and want to go. After Colby, I was, after his passing, I was dreading the holidays. In the past, Dad, Colby, and Haley would come Christmas morning after my kids had opened gifts, and we would have silly string wars. We did that every year. We had already had the Christmas before without all of our dads, and this one was going to be without Colby. And it was going to be really hard, very hard for me. But what do you do? Well, you just do. You pray, and you do. And you get through it, and you get through it for your people. You get through it for your family. And that's just what you're supposed to do, right? So I decided to change it up a little bit, and I had Christmas at my house for the first time. Natalie, Colby's girlfriend, was there. And then the next day, the day after Christmas, we went to Purcell Farms with my mom and Dan's mom, both my kids, uh, Haley, my sister Haley, and my brother-in-law, Ethan, and Ashlyn's boyfriend, Jackson. And we had a beautiful time, a wonderful weekend, and a wonderful new year. Um, But one of the things that stood out during that time is when Ethan and Haley showed up, We had one of the messiest silly string wars my family had ever seen. It was so much fun. It was amazing having my mom there. But what I took from that is that though we had had so much loss, I love that God pulled us together as a family. And through family, the love still remained with those of us that were still there. I mean, you don't forget, but you still still have those people there that are counting on you and love you. So we can get through anything with faith and love and family. On New Year's Eve, I was tired and ready for a new year. Two fatal car wrecks, two unexpected deaths, and the passing of my stepfather. Surely, 2020, 2020 was going to be better. I told everyone that 2020 was going to be amazing. 2019 was one for the books, but this was going to be a good year. Seven days later... I went in for a routine outpatient surgery at Grandview Medical Center. It was a fusion in my lower neck. Our plans were to be home by noon that day. My mom was in town because Dan had lunch plans. So we were going to be home by noon. It was supposed to be quick. (laughs) About an hour into surgery, Dan and my mom were called to a private room. The surgeon, who is a good friend of ours and a great doctor, and his PA told my mom and Dan, well, That didn't go so well. Dan thinking, okay, it's a routine surgery. What do you mean? What do you mean it didn't go well? Thinking, it can't be that bad. Then learned that during surgery that my vertebral artery was cut. And they had to come in and do an emergency cut in my neck, which is this long, lovely cut right here in my neck, and pack my vertebral artery. They had to pack the artery so I would not bleed out on the table. All of this was so foreign and so unexpected that Dan began to ask the surgeons questions about the additional cut, the loss of blood, and what the heck is a vertebral artery, and what do we do now? They just didn't know anything about it. The doctor explained that initially he thought he had cut my carotid artery and that he about threw up on the operating floor. Luckily, he did not. But as an orthopedic surgeon, not a vascular surgeon, he needed to call for help. We were so lucky that I was the first, or fortunate, that I was the first surgery that morning. And down the hall, there was a vascular surgeon whose patient was running late. So he was able to come in, make the emergency cut, pack my vertebral artery, and save my life. 
blessfully, his hands weren't in another patient's veins or in another patient's heart. He was able to come and help with mine. That's my angel down the hall. The doctor explained to Dan and my mom that they packed the artery, but that at this point, my neck and my spine were the least of their worries. So they were unable to complete the surgery that I'd come in for that morning. So Dan asked, okay, what does all this mean? Where do we, where do we go from here? Do we just go up to the ICU for a few days, then come back down and go, go about our business and have that surgery that y'all didn't complete? And the doctor looked at him with both fingers crossed and said, I hope. They learned later that I had needed four units of blood and that the doctors were concerned because I could have had all of these cognitive issues. The vertebral artery takes the blood up to your brain, and they did not know with me losing that amount of blood how it would affect me cognitively. So I I was headed up to the CICU with full neck gear and on a ventilator. Dan called our daughter, Ashlyn. She was at home getting ready to go back to Auburn for her last semester of her senior year and said, honey, you know, I think you better come come ahead and let's go to the hospital. We had already, Jay had left for Auburn the day before, so he wasn't in town. And if you know anything about Dan and my daughter, Ashlyn, they ask a lot of questions. They like to get to the bottom of things. They are much better than I am. I'm kind of go with the flow, but they want to know facts. And thank the Lord that they went digging and got some facts. They apparently didn't get a whole lot of information, but what they did know was I had an artery that was cut. I had lost a lot of blood. The artery was now clogged, which was good. But what we didn't know or was how, when, or if I was going to respond. So it was kind of a waiting game. I couldn't speak a whole lot, obviously, since I was on a ventilator and I was in and out of sedation. So I'd asked to write on a notepad, one of the big yellow notepads. And so I wrote in very poor handwriting, take damn tube out. (laughs) Nice, right? I could hear my mom say, well, at least we know she's in there. (laughs) Parts of this I remember and parts I do not. When you're on a ventilator, you're sedated. But I continued to write on that notepad whenever I would come to. I'd write hot because I was hot. But one of the things looking at that notepad that, you know, I was asking them that really bothered me and got to me was when I wrote to my daughter, Ashlyn, am I going to die? Can you imagine? I cannot imagine what was going through her mind at that point in time. I just feel so blessed that Dan was there to talk her through that. I spent the night on the ventilator and continued to be heavily sedated. And I really don't remember much of anything until they took me off the ventilator the next day. What Dan had learned in those first 24 hours, what Dan and Ashlyn both learned, was the function of a vertebral artery and that I could live with one of my vertebral arteries blocked, that I needed four units of blood, and most important, if that vascular surgeon down the hall had not been late with his first case, I would have bled out on on the operating table. My family, although... We were all still confused, very confused. We were very fortunate and very thankful at this point. Later the second day, they took me off the ventilator. Both the vascular surgeon and the orthopedic surgeon and their PAs, they were all surrounding my bed. And the surgeon looked at me and said, okay, hey, Lisa, you know, can you hear me? And I said, yeah, I can hear you. And I I watched his PA grab his arm and say, oh my gosh, she can talk. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sitting here going, I've been here all along, but they did not know that. They were very excited that I could speak 
I could hear and answer questions. The vertebral artery is hooked to your cognitive senses, and mine were great. What they weren't expecting was my next statement. And I looked at him and I said, and by the way, I'm heading to Honduras. You see, what some of you guys may not know is one of my passions is leading a trip of college students on spring break to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And we had a trip planned for eight weeks later. I was determined to make that trip. Every time I said something about it while I was in the hospital, the doctors in my family looked at me like I was absolutely nuts. But I was determined. I had been in the CICU for four to five days and then moved to a regular orthopedic room. I told Dan when we were moving and we got into our new room that I really wanted a day with no visitors. I just wanted my immediate family. You see, Coach Pearl and the Auburn Tigers were playing. <laughs> and I just, I just really needed that time to forget where I was and to forget what kind of recovery I had ahead of me. So my mom and Dan are there, and Ashlyn comes round in the corner into the room saying that she's got a surprise for me. And I knew that we wouldn't be able to keep her away from Lot for long. We had sent her back to school. We had, um, we had decided that we would keep Jay at school because, honestly, I didn't want them to see me the way that I was. I had some pretty heavy amount of nerve pain, and it just wasn't pretty. When Ashlyn walked in, she, like I said, she said she had a surprise for me. She had brought Jay from Auburn. To say I had tears was an understatement. I had my whole world in one room. Wow, what a blessing that was. All was right in my world. It didn't matter what was about to happen next. My family was there. I had my family and I had my faith and all was right. I had the best caretakers ever. I spent the next month at home having to stay really still. Keep in mind, I still don't have a disc in my neck. And to fall would have been catastrophic. It would not have been good. My mom spent this month with us with her and Dan and the many meals that friends brought. Many of you guys are here. And lots of prayers. All my needs were met. I didn't need a thing. I had the best caretakers, like I said, ever. The second surgery was on February 4th. Surgery went great, and I had four weeks to recover and prayerfully head to Honduras on March 7th. <laughs> With my doctors and family still looking at me like I was crazy. I was determined and planning to go. Pray and do pray and do. Selfishly, I knew I needed, wanted to be leading this team. After surgery, I healed nicely. And with my doctor's approval, and of course my family's, I was able to make the trip to Honduras with lots of prayers and lots of help from my team and the other leaders that went with me. Jay was part of the team. I knew it was probably the last time I would have my ki one of my kids on my college team. Blessfully, I've gotten the chance to lead them all. It was going to be an amazing trip, and it was. Our team had the best week. There is nothing better than leading college kids and helping them to see the Lord in all places, especially in the people of Honduras who have nothing. They have nothing, yet they smile. They have a peace that only faith in the Lord can provide them. We got home safely, only for the border to close down two days later. Hello, COVID. I'm not going to go into COVID as we all have stories whether it is that God stopped us all in our tracks to give us rest or troubled times with work or for someone who has lost someone to the virus. Our lives continue with many stories. We just all need to be prepared when that devastating call comes in or when surgery goes wrong or life just seems harder than you can handle. Know that He is with you and He's never left. One of the things 
I like to think about is to, and try to, is to live my life anticipating that God will do all those things that He's promised, to have hope and not fear. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I did a lot of praying in these years. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and connect and contagious, and courageous, not contagious. That's COVID. <laughs> do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He promises. He promises never to leave or forsake you. The pastor at Auburn Community Church, Miles Fidel, I had a lot of time to sit, to listen to podcasts, to listen to his sermons. A few weeks ago, in one of his sermons, he said this, and it really hit home for me. He said, the world fears an outcome they cannot control. Christians fear God, who controls the outcome. Suffering isn't proof of God's absence. It's proof of God's presence. He is there. Through all of the suffering, through the past trials in our family, through the past eight years, this sums up my faith walk more than any other. We all fear that we can't control, but have hope in Him who we know controls that outcome is what has helped me through it all. Pray and do. Tough times can be a wake-up call, but it is an opportunity for us to be there for others, to do what God has planned for us, make the most of it, have hope, not fear. He never left me, and He will never leave you. I would hope and ask that if any of you are going through a rough time, I do not claim to be an expert, but I have a lot of practice, and I would love to be that friend or sounding board for you. To end, I would like to read an excerpt from a book. It's called Breathe Again by Nikki Hardy, my sweet friend. Stacy Bryant gave it to me after Colby's death and before my surgery. Um, It's just a little part of it. It says, it's called I'm a Thriver. It says, I believe life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. I embrace the truth that I am loved, seen, and enough, and that God loves me, isn't mad, and will never leave. I've got this because God's got me, and together we can do more than I could ever do alone. So keep that in mind. And thank you all so much for coming and listening to my story. You know, I mentioned in the beginning that Lisa is a doer and is often in control. And as someone who also struggles with control issues, (laughs) I can really relate to the fact that these curveballs, these these unexpected deaths, these missed opportunities to say goodbye really took her by surprise. And what do you do with that? And it was, again, it was just interesting to see how the Lord built her faith. And instead of having the mentality of, I can do it, at the very end, she said, you know, along Mm -hmm. with the Lord. Mm -hmm. If he is in control, then we, me walking beside him, can do immeasurably more. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's those tough times that are our wake-up call. She says that, I think, in her story as well. The whole idea, the concept of suffering is proof of God's presence. I'd never heard it spoken that way Mm -hmm. before, but his word tells us that he's close to the brokenhearted. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I really sat in that for a while after listening to her speak, and it did allow me the opportunity to realize, you know, God never wants us to walk alone. He brings people alongside us. She spoke about the importance of community, you know, when she went through her surgery. And and, and at the end, when she said, I want to be that friend, I want to be there for you. And if you need need a friend, Mm -hmm. I'm here. That really spoke to me. And then also just when she ended and said, I've got this because God's got me. 
we're in a time right now where there has been great loss and people don't know what to do with that pain and they don't know how to walk through grief. And when she uses the quote that says, life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. Mm-hmm. And I think so often we can sit and think that we are, there is no suffering or if there is, we've done something wrong or, you know, that life should be easier than this. And the joy that can be found in, yes, there's suffering and yes, there's pain, but life can still be full. You don't have to sit in that difficult place. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel your feelings and don't grieve, but that God still comes in and your life can be full and filled with joy. That that really spoke to my heart. Absolutely. And hey, can we not miss the miracle? The miracle yes. oh of gosh. the yes. story of, of the vascular surgeon being yes. on call. Yes, I know, Lindy. Will you tell us a little more because well, you know the details? Well, it was crazy, y'all. Like she said, she went in for a routine surgery. Dan had lunch plans. Her husband and she thought we're going to be done by noon. The surgeon accidentally nicked that. Uh, artery artery that Mm -hmm. she spoke about, had the vascular surgeon not been scrubbed in, his patient not been late, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't think that God is in the details of your life, I have chill bumps. And and I remember saying to Lisa, God saved you for a reason. And she was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, no doubt. When she was telling that story, it made me think of the patient was probably in traffic and was mad. Why am I not getting there on time? Well, this is <laughs> it's, why. It's so Lisa Lovell could be saved, actually. Um, yes. Well, and then, you know, someone who's always taking care of everybody else has to literally sit still, lie flat for six weeks. And the first thing when she said, I'm going to Honduras. And yeah. and for those of us who know Lisa well, that is truly her passion are those kids in Honduras. And, and she lives it so well. I know, Lindy, she does just live that so well. You could tell when she was sharing her story, just the passion that she has for the kids in Honduras. And, you know, it was inspiring that while she was in the midst of struggle, she was actually thinking about service and yeah. serving someone else. It's her heart. And mm-hmm. you could see it as she shared her story. So thanks for listening today. We hope that you have found encouragement through Lisa's story. And we're going to ask you today to take this story and to share it with friends, to share it on social media, to rate and review the podcast. It helps us tremendously for women and men to hear these stories and find hope in Jesus. Have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye.